As we begin our new year, we will be um, starting a new sermon series. But today, what I would like to do actually is uh, take a break from our, uh, before I start a new sermon series, I want to take a, 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 a separate one-off message today. Um, just to introduce, again, this coming series is called uh, um, Beneath the Surface. But before we go there, uh, let me read the passage that we'll be spending some time on today. It is from Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. Three short verses. And here's what it says. Acts chapter 13, verse 1 to 3 in the New Testament. The fifth book in the New Testament. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manion, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. The next series we're going to dive in is called Beneath the Surface. We want to take a look and what does it mean to be changed inside and out. When we talk about being disciples of Christ, we're not talking about being just on the outside like a Christian. We're talking about the gospel so changed us in every facet of our lives. That discipleship, being like Jesus, is not a Sunday or a Thursday or a Saturday or one day, a few days, a, thing, a, day, a week thing. It's not a few hours. Thing. It's all of life. That discipleship is all of life um, a proposition, a command by God. And so we're going to dive into that. We're going to take a look at the 90% of our heart, of our lives that oftentimes being uh, overlooked. That you probably, you and I probably either met someone like that, some Christians like that, or you, were, you are one like that. Unfortunately for, for me as well is uh, sometimes people meet us as a Christian. They, they, they see us as Christian on the outside. But then there's all these underneath stuff that people haven't seen. That if they only knew they'll be shocked. Perhaps the sin that we just confessed earlier. And I believe that the gospel that Jesus Christ has given to us, died for us and, and gifted us, has something to do more than just on the external behavior. And so we're going to take some time the next two months, uh, January and February, to dive deep into, our, into the crevices of our hearts and ask God to shine some light in them and how we can grow through those places. But before we do that, I thought it would be appropriate for us to set our hearts correct in the right place. You know, if you're like me, 2020 is almost like uh, getting hit by a freight train. It just kind of came. And even this morning, having breakfast with my, my family, we were just talking how school just often stopped. And this will be the first year, uh, academic year, that our kids will never set foot onto their campus. And it's just one of those crazy years that never, it's not that we never had pandemic before, but we never had it like the way we've, we've experienced this past year. And so for many of us, we were in surviving mode. You were surviving, trying to get, get, get through uh, the best way you know how about life. Maybe school, maybe work, maybe even just church. Like how does church work? I don't show up on Sunday. I don't show up at all to see people. And, and, and that's one of the great blessings we, we have here as a team as we record. We get to see here at least just a few of us every week. 
And so many of us uh, are surviving the last year, and now 2021 comes around. And I believe for many of us, we're asking this question, what's next? Like, what's next in my job? What's next in my family? What's next in my education? Like, what does it even look like this coming year? Yeah, the vaccine came out, but we're not completely out of the, out, out of the woods yet. So what is, what's next in my life? Like, what's next for our church? What's next in, in this, after, uh, as COVID continue, hopefully, to, to get better? We're all asking this question, what is next? So we are tired of just surviving, but really want to start thriving in our lives. And so we ask this question, what's next? But here's what is really interesting. Because the same question was asked here in the passage that we just read in Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, I want to call it, they have this Antioch moment. Acts chapter 13 has to do with the church of Antioch. And they had this really crucial moment in their church where they asked, what's next? They asked, what's next, God? What's next you want us to do? Just to give you some context, you know, this Antioch moment actually is a very uh, big moment in their church. It is a moment where they don't want to stay, stay where they were, but they want to continue to grow. This Antioch moment is a moment where they, 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 they no longer just want to maintain. They don't want to just survive. And in fact, they were doing very well. But the Antioch church said, no, we don't want to just stay right here. We want to continue to go where God leads us to go. We want to continue where God takes us, no matter what it will take and cost us. And so they have this Antioch moment, but let me give you some background. The church of Antioch actually was not an idol church at all. By all measure, they were doing a great job. If you just flip a page or uh, swipe down or up, depending on what kind of phone you have, uh, go to Acts chapter 11. They were doing a phenomenal job as a church. First, we see that they are a church that had the favor of God in their lives. Chapter 11, verse 21. The hand of God was with them, and they were bringing people. People were coming to know Jesus through them. A great number, verse 21, uh, who believed turned to the Lord. They were evangelistic. They were bringing disciples. Not only that, you can see that God's power was evident in their lives. Verse 23. When he came, meaning uh, Paul came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Again, we see the power and the grace of God in this church. They are thriving. They were making impact in their city. Verse 26, when he, when, when he had found them, they brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Did you know that Christians did not call themselves Christians? The title, the name Christians were given by the city by non-believers. Because these people are so much like Jesus that they just kind of say, well, you're like Jesus, so you're kind of little Jesus, mini Jesus. Christians, they were making such an impact in the city. People call them people like Jesus. See, you can tell that they're doing well. And not only that, they're experiencing deep compassion and generosity to people in other churches. Verse 29, the disciples determined everyone according to his ability 
to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. Judea was having some issues, the churches there, there was a famine. And so they decided to collect an offering to bring and help their brothers and sisters. So in every way that we have talked about the marks and the DNAs of being a disciple, any church would have gotten AAA across the board. And yet, this church was asking the question, what is next? This healthy, vibrant local church is asking God. They're not satisfied where they were. And they say, God, what is next for me? What is next for my family? What is next for our church? We want to be of use to this uh, for your kingdom. And I believe God is calling you and I to experience something just like the Antioch church. We're going to talk about how we do that. But before, I want to give you a glimpse of what this Antioch moment produced. Because of these people willing to ask what's next, willing to follow God, this Antioch moment produced something really powerful and transformative. Because you go back to chapter 13, out of this Antioch moment, in verse 2, two people were sent out for the work of missions. Verse 2. The Holy Spirit said to this church and says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, obviously, uh, is a, a different name for Paul, for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus, and on and on and on. This become the first mission trip that Paul had undertook, undertaken. And if you read through the book of Acts, if you're familiar with the New Testament, this becomes one of four missionary trips that Paul ended up going on. And if you know anything about the, the New Testament, oh, a good portion of the New Testament was written by Paul, not because he, one day he just wanted to write the Bible. They were all letters to the churches out of these four, primarily out of these four trips. People are coming to know Jesus because Paul and Barnabas were sent out. And later on, Paul, with other of his associates, sent out to go on these mission trips to uh, churches that are planted. Disciples are made. The movement of God continued to expand. Acts 1.8, from Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. By the end of Paul's life, he was in Rome. From that one Antioch moment, the gospel exploded in Asia Minor. Acts chapter 19, one of my favorite verse, a, a verse that I pray for us here in SGV. That in just shortly in two years, it says all of Asia Minor have heard of the gospel. Through Paul, through his, his team, they have brought the gospel to millions of people. Some, some recorded about two million people at the time in Asia Minor. And Paul, along with his fellow co-workers, co-laborers brought the gospel to, to this area. Out of this Antioch moment, the church continued to progress. The kingdom of God expanded. And I would argue, without overstating it, that you and I are the fruit of this Antioch moment. Remember before Paul, all the leaders were very, very cautious to bring the gospel to Gentiles. Unless you're watching with us today, you're not a, you're, you're, unless you're a Jew, I, you're a Gentile as well. Out of that, we were the fruit of the Antioch moment. And I believe for us as a church, 
as a follower of Jesus, 2021 can be that Antioch moment for us. As we see the world being turned upside down, inside out, everything that we know how the world is supposed to work is just completely changed. On the one hand, we're sad. But on the other hand, we can trust that God can use all that is going on to bring forth a revival in the church and to launch and catapult the gospel to the ends of the earth in ways that we've never dreamed of before. You know, on a regular Sunday before COVID, probably there are sitting among us uh, uh, about less than 40 or 50 people in our English congregation worshiping. But today, because of a recording, we can get up to 100, if not more some days, that we can watching that recording. Not just once, not just twice, or later on. See, God is doing something among us, but it is up to us to seize the opportunity. It's up to us to take hold of this Antioch moment. See, for some of us, perhaps we have been tired, wearied of COVID. Perhaps you've drifted away from the Lord. And, to, and what I want to, you to know today is this. That God is never too far away. And God still wants to minister to you. God still wants to use you. But we need to step into this Antioch moment. Then the question is this. How do we seize this Antioch moment? How do we take advantage of this Antioch moment? So that God can, can change and use this explosive situation all around the world that can affect change through us and in us for his gospel's sake, for his kingdom's sake. I want to look at Acts chapter 13 once again. I want to read it to us because the key to this Antioch moment has nothing to do with what you might think, uh, what you might have thought. In fact, I will tell you that this Antioch moment is being seized by the church in a very, for us, a very unconventional way. A way perhaps that is very unnatural for us in 21st century, but yet a very familiar way for them. Acts chapter 13 says this, now there were in the church, all these leaders, I'm going to jump to verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. How did they take hold of this moment? How did they seize this moment? They were not on their phones scrolling through CNN. They were not on their th scrolling through Twitter feed. They were not listening to a podcast about some political pundit. They were not just going out to, to just surveying people. What were they doing? They were not meeting committees. They were not strategizing. They were planning. And all those things could be a good thing. But notice what they did. And perhaps they probably did some of that. But notice what the author, Luke, the book of Acts, what did he focus on? Was a game changer to seize this Antioch moment. It says this, they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. And then just as if that's not enough for us to understand, he doubled up again, repeated again in verse 3, fasting and praying. So what did they do? How did they seize this Antioch moment? They worship, they pray, and they fast. In other words, they set their hearts, minds, soul back to God. 
Man, we have to ask the question, why didn't they do all these other stuff? But why did they focus on that? I believe the reason simply is this. That they knew what's next. In fact, what, anything that God wants to do in their lives is way too much for them to come up with on their own. That they were actually desperate for the power of God, for the presence of God in their lives. That they knew that nothing, this next, whatever this next step is, if it is of God, it cannot be done solely by the planning, by the work of human beings. So if that is the case, you know what they did? Then instead of turning to, to one another, to themselves, they turned to the only one who can give them the plan, the only one who can give them the power. So they worship, they pray, and they fast. And that's how they come through this Antioch moment, leverage to be expansion of the kingdom of God. But what I want to focus on today is on that F word, fast. Fasting. Because I believe that we all heard worship. We're just saying we think of worship. We pray. We just prayed earlier. But the word fasting perhaps might be a foreign word for many of us. It might not be foreign for some of you who are into exercising and diet because there's this uh, trend of intermittent uh, fasting that people do for health reason. And for some of us, when we think of fasting, we think of uh, in a monastery some monk just like not eating and they're super, super skinny and there's your skin wrapping bones and we think of that as ancient practice. But believe it or not, as foreign as this idea of fasting is, fasting is prevalent throughout all of Scripture. It is no strange discipline, spiritual discipline for the, for the saints in both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. I don't have time to go through every story, but let me just run through some for you. Old Testament, Moses fasted. Joel, minor prophet, fasted. Elijah fasted 40 days. Samuel fasted. Daniel fasted 21 days. Nehemiah fasted before he went back and rebuilt the, uh, the city. Ezra, same thing. Esther, before she, she take a, uh, take, step into the moment to save God's people, she fasted. She called all her buddies, all the people, all the Jews back then to fast together. John the Baptist fasted, disciples were fasted, Jesus fasted himself, and he taught the disciple to fast. Matthew chapter 6, when he taught about the Lord's Prayer, he coupled that with the fasting, but notice if you go back to there, he doesn't say if you pray or if you fast. Jesus said when you pray and when you fast. There is this assumption that we as believers and followers of Jesus, that we ought to fast. That fasting is part of our spiritual life. And so while it may be foreign to us, for some of us who have not, do not grow up hearing about fasting and praying, today I believe God is calling us to get back to the spiritual roots and discipline that has so served those who are before us. So what is fasting? What is fasting? When we think of fasting, we tend to not eating food. And that's only half of it. I love the definition that um, uh, Pastor Ronnie Floyd, currently the executive uh, ch uh, president for our, our denomination, he said it this way. Fasting is abstinence, uh, abstinence from food with a spiritual goal in mind. And there's two parts to that. Fasting is not just not eating. Fasting is not just keeping yourself from eating or drinking. 
the more important part of fasting, it does involve that the more important part of it is that there is a spiritual goal in mind. That fasting is never about health only. Although some of us, maybe there's health reason we fast. You need to get your, your blood drawn, tested, you need to fast. But biblical spiritual fasting always, I know it sounds obvious, always has to do with a spiritual goal in mind. So why fast from food? One of the simple reason I believe is that eating is so natural for us. Eating is both a desire as well as a need. If you don't eat, you'll die. But for us, we have the means now to eat to our pleasure as much as we want, whatever we want. And so it becomes both a desire, but also a need. Eating is as fundamental as what it means for us to be a living being. And so when we fast, what we're really doing is we're substituting that natural desires that we have for physical, tangible things and replacing that with a spiritual desire. For God. So fasting has two sides. One is we're not eating, we're not consuming something physical, tangible, but so that we will give us space so that we can fill ourselves up with our spiritual desires and focus on God. That's what fasting it is. Fasting is really what, physically living out what Jesus said in Matthew 4, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God that we tangibly, physically feel what it's like to not have the source of uh, strength so that we know that we need more than just food. We need God. John 15 is the theme for our church year this year. Fasting is physically experiencing John 15, 5, that apart from God, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. See, fasting and praying at the root of it all is meant to help us to submit ourselves to God and to humble ourselves before God. True fasting is never about just showing people what, how spiritual I am. In fact, true fasting is to get us to humble ourselves, to bow down not just physically, but internally, spiritually, in our soul before God and submit to Him. And God gave us some marvelous promises for, for a humility before him. First Peter chapter 5. The apostle Peter reminded us, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Some of us needed this verse. We need to humble before God because there's been tough time this past year that have been squished and pushed down and we need to humble ourselves so that we can experience the lifting of our Lord, not lifting of our reputation before other people. James chapter 4, verse 6. James reminds us that God gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Talk about relevancy. How this past year, we've all been humbled. If not internal, we've been humble externally because of COVID. Yet what God asks is so much more than just physically being humble. He wants us to be internally, spiritually humble before God. And that's what fasting does. Fasting humbles us 
centers us back on God, of his presence of our lives. And I thought there would be a great way for us to start this new year. If there's any way that we've been proud against God, we, we, we think we're something, fasting regularly. Help us to commit ourselves back to God. Lower us again to realize that God is God and we're not. Back in October 2020, during our missions month, God has so burdened my heart that I actually fasted for 21 days with no food, with just uh, fluid. I don't share this with you. I, let me be very, very clear. I don't share this with you because I want to flaunt in front of you uh, how great I am spiritually. Actually, I had no intentional what's, intention whatsoever prior to that month to fast. But as I've been praying for our missions, as I've been praying for our church, God just laid this burden. In fact, before, I've never fasted for that long. Probably in a year, I fasted just here and there a few times. But God's just been preparing all year long pre-COVID, just learning a lot about what does it mean to fast and pray. And that month when God put that burden in my heart, I needed to check with my wife to make sure that this is of the Lord, that I'm not just doing it out 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 of pride, out of discipline. But this has been one of the most challenging thing. But yet it's been one of the most clarifying, sharpening thing for my soul. You know, James 4 says that God gives grace to the humble. I think of that, my period of fasting during that time. The word grace is probably the word that best sums up my time with the Lord. Yes, there are times that I struggle. I'm tempted to eat. There's times that I feel like I don't I want to cut it short. God can hear my prayer first week. It doesn't need for 21 days. But all throughout that period of time, as I commit and submit myself to the Lord, there is a clarity in my soul. There's a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit that I've never sensed before. If you ask me, does fast, is that fasting the only way? I don't know. I don't know why even God chose fasting to be the way. But one thing I know for sure is that fasting helps us to humble ourselves if we do it in the right way for the right reason. And if our fasting is about God more than just about us, God does something miraculous. And there are days that I will be praying. I'll be literally shaking because I'm hungry and just drinking fluid. And, and God will, have, will give me a sense of peace. And throughout those 21 days, I just jog down things that God's given to me and pour through the word of God. There are words from God that I've never heard from before that God's speaking to me about. And it was such a refreshing time. It was such a time to experience the intimacy with Jesus. And I believe that's what happened in Acts chapter 13. When these leaders were gathering, they were worshiping, praying, and fasting. They were asking what's next, but what's more important is they are humbling before themselves and before God. And as they do that, God spoke to them. God showed them the path, the next step. God didn't show them what would happen 2,000 years later. But God showed them the next step, what to do. I just want to quickly point out three things here about fasting in these three short verses. The first one is this. Hopefully this will help us as we fast and pray. The first one is simply this. Fasting is always coupled with praying. Notice what it says in verse 2 again is worshiping and fasting. Verse 3, it was fasting and praying. 
Fasting is never just about physical benefits. There are tons of sciences that talked about how healthy actually regular fasting can be. But the fasting that the scripture talks about is always going hand in hand with prayer. Jesus fasted 40 days before he launched into his ministry, earthly ministry. Paul and Barnabas spent time praying and fasting. Think of it this way. If fasting is emptying up ourselves of food or whatever else that's consuming us physically, think of a cup, a cup of dirty water. If fasting is, you want to put new water in, the only way for you to put new, uh, clean water and make that cup clean is you have to dump out all the junk in the cup, the junk in the bucket. And so fasting is the emptying of yourselves. But praying is what fills it back up with clean, good, living water. See, fasting cannot be done apart from praying, apart from being immersed into the Word of God. Fasting helps us to empty us ourselves, help us to lower ourselves before the Lord, to submit ourselves before the Lord. But prayer is what God fills it back up with His thing, with His Word, with His love. Fasting may be what keeps, takes away our fear. But praying and the Word of God is what fills us up with his love. So fasting must go with praying and worshiping. Here's the second one. Fasting was not only done individually. It was done corporately. I think many times with those uh, of us who are tr- uh, familiar with spiritual discipline, we tend to think of it as a very individual, private thing. We read the word of God, we pray, we fast, we have solitude. Well, that one you have to do on your own. But uh, we tend to think of spiritual discipline as a very uh, horizontal, uh, vertical, private thing. But here is a great case of the people of God together to fast corporately together. I mean, there is such power when every one of us are com- submitted to God, humbled before God. I think of it like, um, like, a, like, a, like a conductor in an orchestra. Everyone, you can have all these great musicians in the orchestra. They're all playing well on their own. But you needed that conductor up front to lead, to direct. So that the music, while it may be played well individually, that the music would not be 50 people playing 50 pieces of music, but 50 people playing one music, one beautiful music. And I believe when, when we fast, and pray as a community of faith together, as a church together, all of a sudden we start humbling before God our, uh, together, then we no longer just get into those secondary stuff and we start getting annoyed at one another. We start getting, getting all tripped up over secondary issues, the carpet, the, 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 the chairs, how it's set up, the music, how it is sound. When all those things are out of, the, out, out, out of our system, and we're all just looking at Jesus and say, Jesus, what do you want us to do? I'm willing to, to forgive my brother. I'm willing to serve my brother. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to do your will. Then all of a sudden, there's this beautiful picture of unity to show the world. And I believe that's why they hear clearly what is the next step for the church is because they have committed together. Not just one person, not just a few people, but they do it together. Is the third one that not only fasting must couple with worship and praying. Fasting also is not done just individually but corporately. But here's the third and last one: is that fasting frees us 
to align our lives and our resources for the purpose of God. Fasting and praying. Open up our hands, open up our wallet, open up our hearts to be of use to God for his kingdom purpose that otherwise perhaps we will be holding really tight on. When you look at Acts chapter 13, while it sounds great that they're being sent off to the great uh, the, the mission trip, verse 2 tells us that the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work, and it's all great, yay, we're, uh, mission trip. But you know what it cost the church? It cost the church of Antioch their best leaders. Think about that for a second. Saul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, they were the upcoming. Uh, Barnabas was a seasoned leader. Paul is the next big uh, mega church pastor coming on the scene. He's the Mike Todd. He's the next young uh, preacher everyone likes. He is bringing the gospel. People are being saved. And in the Spirit of God, as they uh, uh, spoke to the church of Antioch, said, Send out your best one out there. Choose your number one leader. Number one and number two, send them out. Send them out away from your church. They will never come back to serve your church. Think about what kind of sacrifice, what, what, kind, what kind of willingness to surrender the church must have to send their best out. And I believe the reason why they could do that is not because they necessarily feel like, oh yeah, we can do better without Saul. We can do better without Barnabas. No, they could do it because they have submitted themselves to the Lord. That their fasting is not about, God, how can you build my church? God, we're praying and fasting so, so that you will somehow motivate our people to serve, do a greater thing and to build up our church so that we have a better, bigger name so that we can have a better reputation in the community. They were not trying to manipulate God. God, if I just fast for seven days, God, you'll give me 700 people. They were fasting in the most pure way. And as such, God gives them the freedom to both align their own life. Saul was one of the Barnabas, they were the one praying. And other leaders and other people in the church and say, yes, God, we are for you. We will do whatever you want us to do. And we will even give of our best to people. Because they fasted and committed themselves to the Lord. Let me ask you this. It's a question that I've asked myself as I prepare for this sermon this whole week is, am I being open-handed with God with my life? Am I being open-handed with my kids' lives before God? Am I open-handed with our church here? Am I open-handed with my money? Am I open-handed with whatever influence that I have? Have you experienced the Antioch moment that this church has experienced? Have you been wearied and drifted in your own personal walk with the Lord? Are you asking the question, what's next for you? If your answer to any one of those questions is yes, yes, and yes, I believe what God is calling us to do as individuals, as a church together, is not to go plan on our own, but to look to God 
to go back to him and say, God, I want to humble, I want to hear, I want to be open-handed, I want to lay before you all the mess, everything, all my unwillingness, my rebellion, I want to come before you clean, so now speak to me. That is what God wants us to experience. That is the Antioch moment at the end of the day. We don't know what God calls us to do tomorrow, even the hour later. But I truly believe we had an opportunity in 2021 to experiencing something that we've never experienced before, but what it will require for us is to submit and be humble before the Lord. And I can think of no better way to do that as the scripture prescribes and taught us to fast and to pray. So as we start this year, I want to call you I want to challenge you. I want to exhort you. I want to plead with you to join me, to join our congregation together to fast for 21 days and pray for 21 days starting next Sunday. That we will together experience our Antioch moment. We don't know how it's going to turn out. We don't know what God's going to call us to do. But let's prepare. Let's, let's make ourselves available to God. So I want to challenge you to go pray and fast for 21 days. And I know some of you watching right now, you're like, there's no way that I'm going to fast. You may have perhaps a thousand questions in your head. How do I do that? I've never even skipped one meal intentionally. I just woke up late one morning just to skip breakfast. How am I going to do it for 21 days? We have prepared for you some resources on the website and our church website. If you go to our church website, fcbcsuv.org, slash 21 days, FP, fast and pray, you will see on there a litany of resources that will help prepare you. On top of that, we will be sending, starting next Sunday, every single day we'll be sending a prayer guide for you that you can follow along so that not only are you fasting, but you are praying. And if you somehow feel that God is calling you to fast from social media, you're like, I cannot go on Facebook. I cannot go on Instagram. That's why we have the website available for you. Uh, this coming week, we'll be putting on the PDF for the prayer guide so that you can have it so that you don't be tempted if you're fasting from social media. We make all these resources available for you because we want to help you and collectively as a body of Christ, you be united in seeking after God as we kick off this new year. Let me just share with you a couple of uh, practical suggestions as we enter into this fast. So here's the first one. The first few has to do with this coming week so that you can be prepared for the fast. This is the first one. I want to encourage you this coming week to set some time um, to decide why you're fasting. And I hope the reason for fasting and praying this next 21 days would not be because I've told you to, because my pastor told me to fast. I want you, to, the reason why I want to wait till next week to start is because I want to give you some time before the Lord and ask the Lord, how, how, what kind of, why do, what, what, in what areas of my life do I need God? How, how, how have I been doing with God this past year? Perhaps you've been struggling, perhaps you've been having a victory with, with Jesus all year long. What kind of problem are you going through? Spiritual, do you need new renewal? Spend some time with the Lord and put it down on a piece of paper on your phone. What is the reason why? What are you seeking God to do in your life for these next 21 days as you seek him? Step number two, commit and decide. 
there is something about putting the stake in the ground and saying, I'm going to do this for 21 days because I guarantee you there will be times that you'll be tempted to break the fast and say, I'm done. This is too hard. So let's commit and decide. Commit and decide what are you going to fast? For many, of, for many of us, maybe this is a very new thing. I would not recommend you to fast from food all 21 days. Maybe you can fast from social media. Maybe you can fast one meal a day. Maybe you can fast for, a, uh, for an item of food. I would encourage you, though, to choose something. And definitely pray and ask God to give you a burden, what he wants you to fast. But choose something that is not, quote-unquote, easy. Like, if you don't like coffee anyway, don't say, I'm going to fast from coffee. Because what you want to do is you want to fast from things. And that's one reason why I believe the scripture, generally speaking, has to do with food when it comes to fasting. It's because that's just a natural thing that we need. But perhaps if your health won't allow you or you don't, you don't, you're not prepared to do that, I want to ask that you fast from something that will actually cost you. That will create a craving in you when you don't have it so that that craving will turn into a craving for God. It will be a signal, an alarm clock for you that when maybe you wanted a boba that day, you're fasting from boba this 21 days. And that craving all of a sudden turns into a reminder for you that I need to come before the Lord and pray. I need to seek God in this moment. So decide what are you going to fast? When are you, how often are you going to fast? Um, is it one meal a day, uh, a particular hour, half a day, whatever it is? We're not trying to be Pharisaic and legalistic about this. This is naturally, truly between you and God. And I hope that we're doing it together. It will be encouragement for one another. Go without saying if you have health uh, problems, I encourage you to check with your doctor before you commit to the fast, if you're fasting from physical food. And I would say, I would encourage you, the step three is this, to prepare yourself spiritually. We started to this morning with a time of repentance. I think the foundation of fasting has to do with repentance. So take some time this week. Go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 5. Confess your sins to the Lord. Make sure you start in a new place so that sins won't keep you from hearing from God. Step number four, you are fasting for food. From my personal experience, but also other people's experience, if you're fasting from food, prepare yourself physically. We're starting to fast on Sunday. I would encourage you to eat smaller meals up to that day on Saturday so that you, your body can adjust to that. Stay hydrated. And keep drinks around you. So prepare yourself physically as well. Plan not to take, don't not go on a 10 miles hike during the 21 days. And now during the fast, I want to just share two things. Like, uh, the one, one, step number five is this during the fast. Put yourself on the schedule. Remember, fasting is not just about a physical. It is a physical thing with a spiritual goal in mind. This coming series, we'll be encouraging all of us to use the same devotional as a book called Day by Day. We'll talk more about that, how you can get that. And it has uh, two different times, uh, two different in, um, entries every single day for you to spend time with the Lord. Uh, we're not calling you to quit your job, quit school, so that you can spend time with God all day. I would encourage you to take five minutes every three, two or three hours, 10 minutes every two or three hours, so that you're regularly uh, being in the Word of God 
praying. We'll be providing you prayer guide so that you know what to pray for, both for yourself, your family, our nations, our world. So start schedule, scheduling those things. Talk to your family. Tell, let them know you're fasting so that they don't tempt you, so they don't interrupt you. Put it on your calendar. Write it down. Mark it on your desk. Do whatever it takes. Communicate to your small group so that they can hold you, uh, hold you accountable. And here's the last one. I think it's very important. Is that we need to expect and pray and fast expectantly. Expect to meet God. Because the whole fasting and praying is nothing if it's not about God. We're not just pulling our bootstraps and say, oh, I'm so disciplined. I can do this for 21 days. No. The whole point is to meet Jesus. And so it will be hard. There will be time that you will be tempted. That's why we want to do it as a church, do it as small groups. I would encourage you. Even the days that you have messed up, you, 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 you actually got tempted and fell to you, fall to you in temptation. Confess to the Lord and just start, continue to start the next day. Continue to continue the next step. Keep a, a journal. Keep a note on your, on your app. Just periodically, as God give you thoughts and God give you word and God give you a song, write it down, type it in, so that after 21 days, you can go back and just look through how God has led you through this. What God has spoken to you. Because oftentimes, in those moments, it doesn't make sense. But after a period of time, you look back. Things just make sense of what God is leading you to do. What God is calling you to do. Or, else, or, or just even how God affirms you in your time of struggles. And so keep notes of that. Whatever God put in your heart, put in your mind, Write those down. I'm looking forward to after 21 days that we will be sharing testimonies of God's goodness in our lives, how he has shown up in our lives. I want to read for us from Jeremiah 29, 13 as an encouragement to you as we prepare this week and starting next week. For it is 21 days of fasting and praying. We certainly cannot do it on our own. But thanks be to God that he's given a promise. Jeremiah 29, 13 says this, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Here's God's beautiful promise. You will seek me and you will find me when we seek him with all of our hearts. So will you join me as we pray together? Heavenly Father, oftentimes we're proud before you. Oftentimes we build up fences around you. We build up fences around our own lives and we don't want you to come in. And even just like the disciples, when you're walking on water, there's a storm. And they were scared, not because of the storm. They were scared because, God, you were there. Jesus, you were walking on water. So, God, we pray that you'll help us this next 21 days, these 21 days, to seek you with all of our hearts. God, I pray you'll help us to be desperate for you. 
God, everything that we didn't like about 2020, everything that we struggled through 2020, God, there can be a new beginning. We can have our Antioch moment both in our personal lives and as a church together. But God, help us to come and humble before you. God, we hold on to this promise that you say, if we seek you, we'll find you when we seek you with all our hearts. So God, I pray for my brothers and sisters this week. God, would you lay your burden of love in their hearts. Give them wisdom to know what they ought to fast from. Give them ideas how, how they can um, uh, humble before you. Prepare their hearts, prepare their motives, prepare all of us so that when Sunday comes around, we will fast, we'll be, be humble before you and we long to hear and experience you in a refreshing way, even in ways that we've never felt before. So God, we want to do this not because we're anything. We don't want to do this for a batch of honor in a spiritual sense. But God, we want to do this because we long, we need you. We need you. Apart from you, we're nothing. We can do nothing. So Lord, so fill our hearts with your presence during this time. Lord, we need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.